0: for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills, he's got two things in his hand: pipe wrench and channel lock pliers. And they weren't new; they yeah. had been they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. Wasn't so, the first deal they built up bet. No, <laughs> no, you know, you, I think they were they had, the the pliers had been red before, but paint had yeah. worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, aka Dr. Daniel Pierce. Of U N C Asheville to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experiences of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap cheapo cars and that that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn. Uh, and comes back towards him. And it, it, as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran <laughs> off the boat. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steel when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed bar wire fence. <laughs> so check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Same Vault
1: Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at polepositionmag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At polepositionmag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the very first episode of Next Gen Creators. I am Joshua Lepowski here with the Daily Downforce and uh, welcome into this brand new podcast here from the Daily Downforce called Next Gen Creators. If you were not able to uh, listen to the intro podcast, the uh, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that, but just kind of a background of what this is and who I am. So um, my name is Joshua Lepowski. I am from uh, originally from Northwest Indiana, and uh, I spent uh, my time in college Uh, studying sports journalism and uh, I got into NASCAR as a kid as a fan around like the mid 2000s era. And then I got into NASCAR from the media side of it um, in my junior or sophomore year of college, I should say. My sophomore year of college when I started uh, writing about William Byron. I was at Liberty University in Lynchburg, started writing about William Byron and how he would do every week. That's how I got into NASCAR from the journalistic side. And a couple months after I graduated, I uh, got the job here at the Daily Downforce. I've been writing for them since the beginning of May of uh, 2023. So I've been here for a couple months it's been really awesome it's been a ton of fun and pitch uh, this idea for next gen creators and next gen creators this is all about uh promoting it's all about um highlighting content creators this kind of new age this new new media you know that we have in nascar we're seeing a lot more nascar creators on platforms such as youtube that are uh, beginning to really uh, stake their i guess just kind of stake their audience, I guess, for lack of a better term, in uh, in NASCAR content creation. And it's really cool to see the way that these content creators have been able to develop over time. And uh, what I want to do on this show is I want to tell their story, talk about what got them into content creation in the first place, talk about what it was that um, got them into NASCAR, kind of their process. What they've been through as a content creator, all sorts of stuff like that. That's the type of stuff I want to talk about. And uh the first episode we have is with Eric Estep. I'm sure you know Eric Estep pretty well. He is uh the host of Out of the Groove, which is uh one of the top uh NASCAR uh, YouTube shows that we have today. Um, does great work on YouTube, and today had a great conversation with him. You know, it was it was very cool to listen to Eric, how he talked about kind of how he got into Out of the Groove and how that became a thing for him. Uh, Eric has been a guy that's been on YouTube for a very long time. He's been on YouTube for way longer than Out of the Groove's even been a thing. And so he does have a really interesting story about how he was someone that kind of came up through that era when YouTube was just starting to become something where you could really truly uh, create full-time content on it and really start making it a job. Eric has a very unique perspective on that. Also has a unique perspective on NASCAR content creation as well, Uh, specifically talking a lot about how passionate he is regarding talking about people that are his age that love NASCAR. And we talk a lot on the Daily Downforce, and it's a big topic about how NASCAR is with reaching the younger demographics. Eric is someone that truly is reaching that demographic. And not only that, Eric also talks very openly about what he went through in order to Uh, make out of the groove something that worked and his creative process. And he even ended, you know, this episode today by just giving a very honest assessment about what he and his plans are for the future. And uh, I appreciated his honesty. It was really great to hear him just be just open about what he intends to do with the future and the aspirations that he has. And uh, they were, some of the stuff was not stuff I necessarily expected to hear. And it was all, really cool and it was all awesome to just hear Eric Eastet be so open be so honest about what he is trying to do and uh, the type of content he is looking to create for you guys on this platform so without further ado here is episode 1 of next gen creators with Eric Eastet hello everybody and now it is time to welcome in Eric Eastet to next gen creators this brand new podcast from the daily downforce again josh Lepowski here with you so uh eric how are you doing today
2: i am doing fantastic you can't see the boxes Oh, no, you can't see some of the boxes behind me i've been in the process of packing up and moving for about the billionth time here in the past few days but uh so it's good to take a break from that for a moment and sit down and talk racing talk youtube talk internet all that good stuff with you man appreciate you yeah. having me
1: Awesome. I'm, I'm happy to have you here, man. I really appreciate uh, you coming on. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll just, we'll start off with, with uh, the very basic, you know, Eric, how did you get into NASCAR? First of all, when you were a young kid?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I don't come from a family of race fans, really. I, I have an uncle that, that was, I think a big Dale Jr. or Tony Stewart fan back in the day, but really I just found NASCAR all on my own. I, I love playing with hot wheels, cars and things as a little kid uh, and then one day I stumbled across a, a race on TV and I was watching it with my dad and uh and that's sort of where it started then I think I, I got the uh NASCAR Thunder 2004 video game and that's how I learned the drivers and tracks so then when I tuned into the race on Sunday I knew what was happening cuz again I didn't really have anyone I had Mike Joy, Larry McReynolds and Darrell Waltrip teaching me everything I knew about NASCAR so I had to go out on my own really and uh and learn a lot of the intricate details for myself so that was really it I, I would say in 2005 in november i went to my first race my dad took me to texas motor speedway for my birthday and that's when i officially became like hooked hooked at that point i was uh, a diehard fan uh watching every sunday for much of my youth
1: <laughs> wow that's pretty incredible yeah um you know uh that was around the same time i became a nascar fan too around that 2005 time my dad kind of uh rediscovered it so yeah it was kind of around that same time when nascar was kind of at its peak um So uh, out of curiosity, do you remember what that first race was that you saw on TV? Do you remember? Uh,
2: I, for some reason, uh, I think it was like Pocono. I don't remember exactly. I just feel like I remember a lot of green, a lot of like trees and stuff. And I just remember, I think it was either Jeff Gordon or Dale Jr. One of them passing the other, like Dale Jr. Went to the inside, made a normal, just traditional pass. Gordon probably just gave him the position because it was early in the race, whatever. And I remember my dad sitting on the couch, not a NASCAR fan, but he just sat sat there and said, Gosh, that is amazing that they can do that at those speeds. And that's like stuck with me because I'm like, oh, you know, you're watching on TV. How fast are they going? Like, you know, 100 miles an hour, maybe like, yeah, freeway speed of 180, 190. I think it was Pocono, but I don't remember for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, ironic because we're uh, we're recording this the week of the Pocono race. So that's kind of ironic. So it was right around this time of year then about uh,
2: probably uh, yeah,
1: about almost 20 years ago now. Think about that. The fact that 2004 is almost 20 years ago just doesn't sit right with me, but uh, that's
2: neither
1: neither here nor there. So, uh, you know, I think pretty much everyone that's followed you knows you're a Matt Kenseth fan, grew up a Matt Kenseth fan. Can you say how you got into liking Matt Kenseth as uh, you grew up?
2: Yeah, it's kind of random because I'm from Texas. Uh, Matt Kenseth is very Midwestern, very Wisconsin. Uh, I didn't visit Wisconsin until I was probably a teenager, and it was too Interesting, like it was to visit the Matt Kenseth Museum back in the day when that was still a thing in Cambridge. Um, I, I really don't know. I playing NASCAR Thunder. I really liked the yellow and black DeWalt car. I remember just sort of picking that car quite often. I liked how it said "Guaranteed Tough" on the back, uh, you know, the rear TV panel. Thought it was a cool-looking car. Uh, I later found out we uh, some my mom had an old friend from high school. Um, that we went and visited in Georgia when I was a little kid and her son who was older than me his bedroom was decked out in Matt Kenseth stuff everywhere and I was like whoa that's the video game guy <laughs> Like, that's the guy <laughs> I play on my PlayStation 2 and it's then I found out that uh that uh my mom's friend I guess is like a distant cousin distant relative to Matt Kenseth and so I was like oh that's kind of a fun uh connection and so that's really where it started
1: mm-hmm. okay awesome that's cool. So. Uh... You know, um, tell me then now as we shift away from uh, from NASCAR, let's shift now towards uh you getting into content creation. So uh, you've talked a lot about how you are a I guess you've described it a film slash TV nerd. So you've liked the idea of making videos for a long time. You know, I even remember I've watched you since the Double E Cup Series days. So I remember you used to post like little like shorts and stuff like that back in the day. So uh, tell me about how that sort of stuff kind of came about in your life.
2: Yeah, I always loved uh, just making short, goofy videos. I, I think growing up in the the rise of YouTube, again, like YouTube, when was it formed? 2005, something like that. Uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, it really became like a, a legitimate social media and video sharing platform. And yeah, I kind of grew up in the thick of that. And so I remember getting a cheap little camera from my parents when I was maybe like 10 years old. And uh, I would just, you know, go into Windows Movie Maker, edit like a free editor. Uh, I'd mess around with my friends and my sister. and We just filmed goofy skits and whatnot. And and I just really enjoyed that. But then in 2011, uh, I looked on YouTube and I saw a lot of cool independent NASCAR sort of just grassroots content, just folks filming things in their spare bedroom. I saw some diecast stop motion type videos, I looked at my little collection and said, hey, I think I could do that. I know exactly how they did that. I can do the same thing. Maybe add my own twist to it. And uh, immediately when I posted my first NASCAR diecast stop motion video, it became my most viewed video. I think it was my first video to hit probably 200 views, maybe, maybe anything like that. And I thought that was a huge deal. And so I kind of just went all in. I'm like, well, hey, I love making videos. I already love NASCAR. This is a great way to sort of merge the two together. And uh, that's that's really where it started, I guess. And that was all the way back in like 2011, early 2012. So, like, like kind of crazy to think about now.
1: So, I take it that you were pretty self-taught in terms of how you learned to create content and learned how to make videos, stuff like that. For the most part, would that be accurate based on what you're, what I'm hearing?
2: I think so. I mean. I learned a lot by watching other YouTube videos. I watched a lot of YouTube in my early years. I did go to film school when I was, you know, in college. I did go and so I guess I learned a few tricks and things and just sort of business philosophies almost there. But you no, know, growing up, all the I filmed all sorts of stuff, the stop motion stuff. No, I guess it was just you just learn by doing learn by seeing other people do it. And then you just kind of practice it yourself.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what, I can as someone that's in this field too, I can relate. Like, I mean, there really is if, and I'll say this to anyone that wants to get into this, like there really is no substitute for just going out and doing it. Like you can't learn, yeah. like, and I'm sure you, you would agree with this. Like you can't just, whatever you can learn in the classroom, like that's minuscule to what you actually can do. You actually have to go out and do stuff in order to make things happen.
2: I would agree. And I think, especially when it comes to, it comes down to internet related, you know, content and business and work, it's, it's become obviously a lot more established but it still feels it's ever-changing i suppose so there's still not like a definitive encyclopedia or guide or blueprint to here's how you become successful on the internet here's how you can do this that like there's there there's still so many different ways to i guess get there that you kind of just have to feel it out for yourself try a bunch of different things and and just if something sticks keep pushing towards that if you find that you're good at one particular thing keep pushing towards that but you're right there is no definitive guide to how to do any of this stuff
1: so kind of along those lines what was your original philosophy for creating content uh when you started on YouTube i guess you know when you were kind of at that age when you were starting to I guess take it a little bit more seriously, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know what exactly your timeline was, but um, yeah. you know what was kind of your original content philosophy when you started making videos?
2: I don't know. I guess I really enjoyed it. I think, especially when I first started doing NASCAR-related videos, I just really loved being able to share my you know my love for stock car racing with other people similar to me in age. Cause I was a kid, I was like 14, 15 years old. And a lot of the folks that watched my videos were also probably 14, 15, or even like eight, nine, 10, 12 years old. And growing up, like I said, I, I, my family wasn't really into NASCAR, you know, me and my dad sort of started watching at the same time. Uh, I didn't really have many friends, like friends who knew who Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon were, but they didn't really, I wouldn't call them fans. And so I think originally what motivated me was Getting all the comments and you know, just sort of being a part of the online NASCAR conversation with people my age or close to me in age. I'd i never had that before. I could go walk down the street and talk, you know, about the Houston Astros. I grew up in Houston. I could talk about the Houston Astros with anyone. I could talk about the Rockets or the Texans or, you know, who knows, you know, any local team. I could never walk around and talk NASCAR with my friends at school. And this was sort of that for me. So I think that motivated me early on. I mean, I, don't know, I just enjoyed it. I, I guess I just really enjoyed the, the process of like planning something out, you know, writing it down, sketching ideas and then producing it and then seeing it come together in the editing bay. I, I just I really like that process of seeing a complete vision come together step by step, piece by piece until you have a fully finished product. I, my favorite thing doing those stop motion videos wasn't the filming because it's tedious. It's hours of just, you know, push, click, push, click, fine tune, click tedious when you finally have all the footage and you sat down at your computer and put it in to Adobe Premiere or whatever I was using at the time and just boom there it goes it just like played out almost like perfectly that was the moment where I was like oh, okay the last 20 hours were worth it and that was such a rewarding feeling it was in those early years and still is today with a few times I dabble with like animation and things it still is so rewarding to just lay it out on a timeline and it just works and all those hours were worth it I love that so
1: on that wavelength, can you dig into some of your creative process about kind of what goes into you making a video kind of on a on a daily basis, whether it's an out-of-the-groove or whether it's something a little bit different like an at-track vlog or uh any other type of content that you try to put out on your channel on a daily basis?
2: Yeah. So nowadays uh the focus is fully shifted towards what is the online conversation. Like, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, it was just kind of fun to hear, oh, these people really don't like, uh, you know, Tony Stewart for some reason, you know, it's just interesting to kind of talk back then for fun. Now that's like the job that the job now is, and it's a fun job, but the job is to stay in the loop. What are people talking about? What's the conversation? I scour obviously daily downforce, look at what you folks are talking about, what you guys are able to, um, to find on the internet. I'm on Twitter every day. I'm in my own YouTube comments from previous recent episodes, figuring out what people are discussing. And I'm reading the latest news, listening to the latest podcasts from all sorts of different uh, outlets. Um, So, I mean, every day, I'm just trying to soak up as much information as possible. Whatever stands out as interesting or relevant to me or to the audience, that's when I sit down and, you know, spend, it could be an hour, could be a couple hours, could be more or less uh, time researching, you know, kind of, organizing. you know, I don't have writers. I don't have a staff. So I'm my own staff looking up stats, looking up important uh, details. And so I spend much of my mornings doing that. And then I typically film. I I might grab like some lunch real quick and then I'll film something and then uh, go to edit. And editing now is is so much faster than it used to be because it's so simple to edit my videos. I can kind of just blow through it. It, It's almost like muscle memory now. I'm only half paying attention to the screen because it's just click, drag, cut, click, drag, cut, click, drag, cut, click, drag, cut. And it's 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 almost like I can just turn my brain off for an hour. But uh you know, the process is the process has changed quite a bit, uh especially as out of the groove has become the more uh, dominant feature. But but to your point on like the at-track vlogs is like I went to the Chicago street race earlier this year, and anything that's new like that, and I know that was going to be a unique event. I went into it knowing, hey, I'm going to film. I'm going to document. I'm going to be boots on the ground. I'm going to show everyone what it's like from this perspective because everyone's watching on TV, but not everyone's going to get a clear view of what the At Track experience is like. Uh, obviously, the rain and storms and flooding sort of messed up what my plans were for that race. But like I filmed at North Wilkesboro this year, which is a new track. Last year, I filmed at Pocono, which was a new track for me. Uh, Circuit of the Americas, when it was added to the schedule, Indy Road Course. I, I've just, again, it's what is, what's on the tip of everyone's tongue. And new is always. Interesting because it's new. So um that's sort of how I decide where I'm going next, what I'm gonna film when I'm there, and what goes into a daily episode of my show.
1: I think to that point, you also I think you mentioned this in a recent video. You're going to some new tracks you're coming up here in the next few weeks. Is that correct?
2: I'll be at Michigan for the first time ever. Okay. Uh, at least I've not been to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to because I'm also gonna check out the uh, Roush Museum. Uh I think it's in or just outside of Detroit, a while in there as well. I know they have a lot of really cool uh cars that I know a lot about as a lifelong Matt Kenseth fan but uh I'm gonna hopefully film some stuff there but yeah Michigan's a new a new track for me I'd mm-hmm. like every year I try to at least add one track mm-hmm. that I'd never been to and um I guess there's a couple this year but Michigan's a big one mm-hmm.
1: cool awesome I've been to Michigan before actually it's been uh oh gosh it's been like 10 years since i've been there but i have been to michigan before i've heard uh, great
2: things i'm excited yeah i know they're not going 212 miles per hour anymore unfortunately but i I still think it'll look great
1: (laughs) no you're it's it it is in a it's it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere but it's in a really cool area it's it's uh, honestly if you like to camp i actually would argue michigan's a great place to camp so um, that's what i've heard yeah it's a great place to camp i will say that much so uh, anyways you know kind of going back to kind of like your time as a youtuber you know you know when you first started doing YouTube, I guess, as you were getting older, you were getting ready to go to college and stuff like that, you know, did you ever expect YouTube was going to be your full time gig? Or was it just something that you were just eh, This is just a hobby for me for now until I get a real job, quote unquote, after I graduate.
2: Yeah, Yeah, no, in high school, it was like, you know, in high school, it was my real job. You know, I, I a lot of my friends would work at, you know, grocery stores would be baggers, they'd be waiters, they'd be you know, cashiers at, at Chick-fil-A, whatever, you know, like that's what a lot of my friends were going to do in this typical kind of high school job, a lot of first jobs for folks. Um, and I was very lucky because YouTube had taken off to a point where like, you know, it gave me a little extra spending money on the, on the side, I didn't really feel like I needed to uh, go get a, a real job at that point. So um, I think, in, you know, because of that, in the back of my mind, since high school, since I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and I first got monetization turned on on my channel, I always thought that you know maybe at the very least this would be some sort of you know side hustle a little side business or project I could always dabble in I could always do uh, you know when I went to college to study filmmaking and TV I thought you know I'll probably end up in Los Angeles part of the Hollywood system trying to work my way up trying to get some of my own projects made but in the meantime I'll always have this creative outlet over here on the side that I can go to to express myself to. The feel, uh, to to see my creative visions realized to some degree, and and if it makes a little extra money, a little extra spending money, hey, LA is expensive. That would be nice. I wouldn't mind that. Um, I never intended, never expected, I guess, YouTube to become a full time gig. It sort of just happened. Um. You know, in 2018, 2019, with Out of the Groove becoming more, um, I think, more of a staple. I think it became a, a part of a lot of folks sort of daily routine. And so, you know, I was motivated to put out more consistent episodes. Viewership was up. Numbers were getting to a, a point where I was like, hey, this maybe I, I could maybe take a risk and try this full time. Then 2020, I was about to graduate pandemic. Uh, I had to leave. Uh, I was doing an internship actually in Los Angeles. We basically all got sent home because Hollywood was shut down. They couldn't, no productions were being worked on the first couple months of COVID. And uh, and so I was basically, you know, I had to go move back in with my parents, at least for a few months to figure out, uh, okay, well, what do I do next? I graduated online. I didn't even go to the Zoom ceremony. I was just like, okay, well, the real world is here. It's time. My only source of income is YouTube. Let's Maybe double down on this and just see where it goes. The whole world is moving online with Zoom calls and uh, and things like that. I'm already here. Let's uh, let's see if that gives me an advantage. And so I sort of just committed to it, especially in 2020, and it went very well. And I thought, you know, like, shoot, I, I'm moving out of my parents' house. Let's let's keep going. Let's ride this wave until it crashes, I guess. Um, and it's so far we I mean, were three years removed from that, or so roughly, and it's still going really well. So I'm I'm very fortunate that it's turned out the way that it had but it was never the like it was never plan a i guess but i mean it's been a blast i I could not be happier with how things have turned out honestly
1: out of curiosity like man obviously the pandemic kind of threw you for a loop like it threw everybody for a loop obviously um it threw the whole world for a loop for for that period of time you know i was in college at the time i was finishing up my first year in college and uh but but you you know did you have a plan A that you had planned for beyond 2020 before the pandemic hit and then the pandemic just kind of shut it down? Or was it just or, or was it just the internship that the pandemic kind of? Kicked, or yeah. Kind of, yeah.
2: I went to school at uh, in Austin, Texas, at the University of Texas. Uh, they had a good film school and Texas, especially that area has a good sort of film. Um, I don't know, I guess uh, just sort of basis establishment. Um, there's a few good filmmakers that from Texas that often come back to Texas to work on productions. We had Matthew McConaughey was a professor in the building that I was in, you know? So, uh, (laughs) it was like, I was into that kind of stuff. Uh, I still am, I guess. Um, but I, I went to Austin because I knew they had an internship program in LA sort of set up. And so that's where I was spending my last semester. The intention was to get an internship. And then while I had that internship, use that internship to interview for other jobs, uh, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. There really wasn't a definitive plan A. I knew I wanted to work uh, in, in either film or TV in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I was looking into. I remember uh, jobs and internships at like Fox Sports uh, and ESPN that were both had uh, headquarters in uh, in Los Angeles. Um, but I was also uh, looking at you know major studios. I remember I the company I interned for was a small production company, but they were affiliate of uh, NBC, I believe. Um. They. uh, Um. It was funny. Uh, My job was basically to write, uh, to read books and scripts that they were considering. That they had like options on. This company did. uh, uh, Like, there's an option period where you have the amount of time to say, "Hey, we're gonna. We bought the option. Now we're gonna commit and make this into a movie. You have like an option. You have a period. And so it was my job to read stuff and kind of write down what I thought about it. And it was funny. There was a. I wrote. I read a book there. I guess i signed an nda but it's out now i don't think i it matters um about a uh, called the night agent that was really fun it was a good kind of thriller action you know government conspiracy story and uh that was three years ago earlier this spring i was sitting on the couch uh, with my girlfriend looking through netflix and there's the night agent <laughs> it was it had been made <laughs> wow. yeah, and i remember i was like dang i wrote i was really glowing in my review and my coverage of this and and it was really cool to see uh that show was now on Netflix it was a big hit apparently like everyone was talking about it. it was like number one or two on Netflix for like a week and so I thought that was kind of funny so I, I I I would have probably been a greater part of not the process of that show necessarily but that's the kind of stuff I loved I love mm-hmm. reading you know the early uh developmental process of filmmaking and so I wanted to work somewhere in the industry doing things like that um but who knows It, it Hollywood is so unpredictable so that that that, that it that's why I say I'm very fortunate. I feel very blessed that things have gone the way they've gone because it would be it would have been a grind, I imagine, to try and uh, to work out in California in that industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so Eric Estep had a a small part, I guess you could say, in an uncredited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uncredited wow. but no it, it was just kind of funny i was like oh wow like i probably had like a 0.0000001 percent impact in that getting made but uh, look it got made and it's really popular that's awesome i i, I knew it <laughs> have you watched the show i did i actually did sit down and watch it it was good <laughs> very similar to the book that i remember reading uh it was good good that's
1: awesome that's great to hear so we kind of jump forward in the timeline here let's jump backwards here a little bit so um you know and again I'll remind you, I've watched it since the double E Cup series days. So I somewhat remember kind of where your channel was at this time. So um out of the groove kind of came when you were, I think, just starting in college. And I think that um, if I remember right, you're gonna have to remind me on the timeline. But if you remember right, I think that double E Cup series was kind of in a hiatus because you didn't have room to film. And so out of the groove was was it kind of born out of that? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it was I you're I think the timeline is. Pretty much exactly right. I did a few stop motion races and things once I got into college, but yeah, it was definitely under a hiatus. Um, and that's, that was, I mean, that was true is I didn't have the space. I'd moved into a dorm with a stranger, you know, kind of a random roommate, um, who was really chill, really cool. But, uh, I don't think you'd have been chilling cool with me taking over, not, not even kidding, probably half of the square footage of our dorm room to set these racetracks up. There was not the space. So, uh, I would say out of the groove was born both out of again, like an interest in wanting to continue that that conversation, have a more direct conversation with fans my age. That's something I'd always craved and was still craving more of. But in a way, it was also born out of necessity to stay, you know, relevant on the internet. It was, well, shoot, the thing I'm known for is NASCAR, specifically stop motion videos. And yeah, you know, a little bit of my personality and face would sneak into the videos through that. But that's you know, I was known for being part of the NASCAR online world how do I stay a part of that? Because I wanted to, and I couldn't do stop motions consistently. So I thought, screw it. I know I have an ugly haircut. Let's put myself on camera and just talk <laughs> about what's going on in the racing world. And yeah, I looked around and and this is no disrespect to any of these people because they're all obviously- way more knowledgeable and experienced at this kind of stuff than I am, but you look at, you know, who was on Fox and it was, you know, Larry McReynolds and Mike joy who are outstanding. It was, a, it was older name, Daryl Waltrip. You looked over at, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, you know, serious XM, you have guys like Dave Moody who are legends of the industry, but it's just older fans I think, or older, not fans, older members of the industry who are, I think are speaking more so to older fans and you know NASCAR's always struggled to maintain and and get a new younger audience and I felt like that was a gap that I could hopefully play a role in and I think I have at least a little bit to this point uh in in time but at the time I just that that's where I saw the opening was I thought you know there's not a lot of 20 something year olds talking NASCAR just just throwing their opinions out there and getting other and feeding off other people's opinions that doesn't really that's not really a thing in any controlled or uh, consistent format so so that's sort of where it came from.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, you, you already had a base because you had created YouTube videos before. Um, so how long did it take for you before you actually started finding the return on investment you wanted to and out of the groove or did it come pretty quickly?
2: it took a long, well, I don't know if it took a long time, but I, you know, I do the, did the stop motion videos and I'd only do one. I, those would only come out like once every week or two. And so when they did come out, it was more of a big event. It was, Oh, Oh, the next, like, I've been waiting for this race six it's coming. I, I let's see if, you know, Jeff Gordon extends his points lead. Like, so those, I was used to those getting hundreds of thousands of views. I mean, I have one that just recently hit 10 million views. Like that's crazy to me, but absolutely just mind blowing numbers. I, I but I went and did out of the groove, put my dumb old face on camera for the first time. And I think I got like 600 views, like not even a thousand. And my first few episodes, I think a thousand or so views were probably the limit where it's like the peak. And I thought, damn, okay. I mean, yeah, I can post two or three of these a week without much issue, but they're not getting nearly the traction that the stop motions were. So it took some time. I don't you know. You know, I was consistent enough with it. I just kind of kept working at it. Eventually I got to a point like even now my views, I don't get 300,000 views on an out of the group episode ever. That's not a thing, uh, partially because I post every day. So if you miss this one, then you know, there's one tomorrow. But uh, it took a long time for me to get to uh, where I felt you know, it, the viewership was good and great and steady, which is part of why I was still doing some stop motion videos time. From time to time in college, because those I knew were more reliable and would get views and you know, just had to sprinkle a few of those in there. So it was like a, I almost feel like I soft launched out of the groove. Cause I think when I first started it, I only did one episode a week for a few weeks. Um, and I don't know, it was like, it was just kind of impossible to pack in a week's worth of events and news into 10 minutes. Like, I mean, I mean it's possible, but it wasn't possible to do that. And then also add the personality and the the other things I wanted to add to it. So it evolved pretty quickly um but early on it was, it was it was hard to get used to it was definitely a, a different it was humbling <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean i'm sure it was i mean I'm, i mean it takes you know whenever you whenever you venture out to try something new i mean that's always a challenge for any content creator even if it's even if you're you know like like where you are and where you're not expecting it to be your full-time gig. I mean, it's still it's still a challenge when you're expanding out, you're wondering, is this audience going to like what I'm actually doing currently right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways, um so moving on from that, you know, take me through the timeline. So we we kind of went all the way up to about the pandemic, which is when you started when the world went crazy. And so uh, you know, what was the timeline of Out of the Groove from that point onwards uh, to when you started actually pursuing it full-time, really just almost out of necessity, I guess, is a way to describe it?
2: Yeah, yeah, in a way, it was kind of partially born out of necessity to stay somewhat relevant and regular on uploads in college. And then it was came a full-time job because it was the only way I could see to make money at that point based on the college degree I had, at least. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I basically in 2020, I think I went all I went full time to the point where I was posting four or five episodes a week. I never thought I'd be a daily uploader kind of guy, and I'm still not quite, but I'm close. Uh And it just, I guess, it just kind of it, the show. I feel like hasn't changed that much since 2020. I, I think I'd like to think I've gotten a little better at organizing my thoughts, being a little more um, cohesive, uh, also a little more, you know, efficient in my delivery. I don't beat around the bush, waste as much time. I get more directly to the point. I have a stronger opinion or something uh, that I really want to say about each topic. I'm not just reading the news. I never want to be the guy just reading the news. Like That's important. People want to be informed, but I also need to add my own touch to it, I suppose. Um, And I mean, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I, I guess beyond just doing out of the groove since 2020, I've gotten Uh, i've been very fortunate to travel to a lot more races especially 2021 when sort of the pandemic for the first time sort of felt like it was on the back end and i went to a bunch of tracks in 2021 i'd never been to before i went to you know road america um was a bit was a big weekend india i'd been to indianapolis but not since i was a kid um so getting to go see indianapolis and uh a lot of just like it was real fun to meet face to face other people in the industry like for the first time ever you know I was just a kid filming in his dorm room then his parents spare bedroom then my own spare bedroom but I was able to go up and talk to you know I mentioned folks like Dave Moody before he's been on my show uh like tons of respect for what he's done tons of respect for what awesome so many uh reporters radio broadcasters you know I like and so beginning in 2021 when I was traveling to a lot more races I really got to sit down and and meet a lot of them and and I you know, to a, to an extent I felt uh, like accepted but more so it was just sort of surreal for me to think I've watched and listened to a lot of these folks for years and years and years and to now be you know even remotely to at least be in the same room as them I'm not going to say I have the same clout or the same uh professionalism even as many of them but I, I to at least be in the same room and have many of the same opportunities as them that was you know 2021 I just found myself pinching myself quite often and being like I cannot believe that this has actually gotten to this uh, level, um, but I guess to your original question, the actual like process of out of the groove has not changed that much since then. We've obviously added some new things, like we had a the out of the groove weekly viewers guide for a couple of years there, which was a neat sort of different avenue for some content to get spread. We added some writers to the team, and now with daily downforce, which isn't you know directly my project, but it's something I'm still involved with, and obviously you know this, I'm very closely uh, involved with the uh, with the creators and. Head directors and stuff of Daily Downforce and and all you guys, so it's it's cool to see, I guess the out of the groove, like the out of the groove influencer reach get bigger the last couple of years, Um, but at its core, the show really hasn't hasn't changed. I Mm -hmm. I just think I do better research. I know a few more things than I did three years ago, and and I I hope that makes the actual quality of videos a little bit better.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. So you know, obviously, you know that that's interesting. The fact that you feel that the show hasn't changed too much because you know. I mean, most of the times it seems with content creators, like it feels like, or at least maybe you don't notice it, but maybe you, maybe they feel like, man, like, like my process has changed completely from the way that I started, but you're the exact opposite in that sense.
2: Yeah. I, I guess I, you know, for not, no pun intended, I sort of found a groove with it uh, where it was just, like I said, it was a good routine. I, I just read and listen to a lot. I try to contextualize it uh, the best way I can, again, add my sprinkle of opinion where I feel it's necessary. And just that process has become, you know, formulaic makes it sound boring, but it is formulaic. It's uh, it's predictable, I guess, from my perspective. And when you work in YouTube and you, I mean, I I think anyone who works for themselves would probably say that it's one of the most stressful parts of that is how unpredictable it is. You're your own boss, you make your own schedule, but also, you know, if you're selling something, if you're producing content like me, like I don't know how much money I'll make this month or next month. What if I don't make this big sale? What if this video flops? What if this happens or another, you know? And so anything that's predictable, like my daily routine, gonna wake up, gonna read, gonna edit, gonna write, gonna organize, gonna film, gonna edit, gonna upload anything that's like a routine. I think I just, I, you know, I need some of that. And I found that in 2020 and it's been, yeah, it's been modified maybe a little bit since then, but not in a dramatic way, I'd say.
1: A couple kind of fun questions here before, because I want to transition to talking about your relationship with other content creators here too. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that, but a couple of fun ones. First of all, favorite track you've been to and favorite out of the groove episode you've made.
2: Oh my goodness. A favorite track, I've been to, I mean, I'm sentimental. I still love Texas motor speedways track. I've been to the most. Um, it was my first race I ever visit was my home track for the longest time. Um, the racing's not great anymore, but the, the facility's still decent. Uh, I would say, I used to say Br- Bristol is still probably my favorite to watch on TV. This mm-hmm. is going to sound sacrilegious almost, but I, the in-person viewership or in-person yeah views at bristol are, are still phenomenal like it's there's a reason that that track used to there used to be on a waiting list to get tickets i get that but i would go daytona i think the amenities at really? daytona uh around the track you know all the restaurants and things right outside the track the actual like concourse itself since they renovated it six years ago i went to a race be- right before it got renovated and then i went to the first race after it was renovated night and day difference i mean it's it's as nice as most, most NFL stadiums that I've ever seen. Uh, and the hmm. infield garage experience is a little dated, but still really, really good. So I, I think Daytona is probably my favorite track to visit in person right now.
1: Wow. That's uh, that's a, I, I wouldn't have thought Daytona cause I would think it'd be so big. It'd be tough to like, as far as that track watching, I feel like it would be kind of tough to watch yeah. but wow that's that's interesting i never would have thought that i've i've been to bristol so i can i can say for sure bristol is amazing to be at in person so yeah i can i can totally confirm that i would not have thought daytona that would not have been uh, my first
2: thought <laughs> it's, process. it's nice I and mean, you just sit up high enough and you can see all the way around uh and and i like that talladega phoenix are a couple tracks that have really uh, in, uh renovated their infield sort of fan experiences and and like it's world-class it's outstanding but I just feel like Daytona right now, if I was to bring a new fan to date to a, a NASCAR race, I'd bring him to Daytona, not necessarily even the Daytona 500. That would be huge. That'd be a good way to do it. But I would, I would just bring him to Daytona. Cause it's, I just think it would be, it's the easiest access point for any new fan.
1: Huh? Yeah. That's kind of cool. I've, I've never been to Daytona. I've been to, I've been to a few tracks, but I haven't been to Daytona. I've been to a uh... Been to Bristol. I've been to uh I'm kind of trying to go through all of them in my list. I've been to Darlington. <laughs> yeah. Darlington's great. I Darlington's love, great Darlington's
2: probably second or third on my list. Really, it's, it's, it is like it's so opposite from Daytona. Daytona feels so new school. The Darlington is so beautiful. Oh, old is. school, doesn't have the same amenities nearby or anything like that. So it's not the most convenient track, but boy, mm-hmm. when you get up there and just see see the cars slide up to the wall in the center of the corner, that's probably second or third on my list.
1: I mean, there's nothing like watching those cars ripping right next to the wall at Darlington. There really isn't. Mm-hmm. And also, like, like I know you know because I remember I went there. Like the track pops up in the middle of the nowhere out of a bunch of cotton fields, and you mm-hmm. walk over a creek to get to the grandstands. I remember yeah. from the parking lot. Like, yeah, you do. This is uh, old school. So, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, did you ever get to your favorite out of the groove episode? By the way,
2: favorite out of the groove episode. Uh, I would say I'm often a big fan of the uh. Some of the old paint scheme recaps and reviews i would do i used to have a lot of really have a lot of fun with them i need to bring some of that back i think i've become too analytical and too like i'm nitpicking every little star and stripe on the decals and stuff now i need to go back to just boom watch these cars you know what, what's the first uh instinct i have i've had a few of those that i really like doing back uh back in the day um i'd have to think longer on that i don't know if there's any one i mean there's interviews that i've done that stand mm-hmm. out to me that i would say like the episode I did with Matt Kenseth, that, was, that made me, uh, that was like a checking a bucket list item uh, off. Um, but besides interviews, yeah, I, I always like doing wow. the paint scheme. I also like doing the episodes at the end of the year where I grade every driver's mm-hmm. season. Like, you know, oh, this guy totally failed expectations. He gets an F. This dude, wow, didn't expect, you know, Chastain to make it to the championship four. That's an A+. plus. I know he didn't win at all, but that's an A+. plus. You know, I love also that. I think fans enjoyed sort of that summary of at the end of the year as well.
1: Wow. Awesome. So uh, moving on now to talking about your relationships with other content creators. Uh, can you tell me, you know, who were some of your favorite NASCAR content creators to watch as you were working your way up? Because I mean, you know, you were right. The, the, YouTube's kind of a new thing. So you didn't really have like someone really to base your thoughts off of. So you kind of were learning with these people together in the trenches. So who were some of these people you loved watching as you were developing as a creator?
2: Yeah. When I first started and uh one of the first people I saw doing um, stop motion type videos was uh Gino Harvey, Afflack Cup series is what he went by on YouTube. He mm-hmm. still he still occasionally put out new videos, which uh I think he's married with a I think he has a kid now. Um, so uh, I absolutely respect that he he still he sticks to his roots. Uh that that was he was a, a titan of that tight-knit community back in the day. Um, and I got, to, I've got, I got to meet him actually at Road America a couple of years ago in person mm-hmm. for the first time, and that was really, really cool. Uh, but you know, since I got to doing out of the groove, a lot of my good friends that uh, I do different shows and podcasts with, um, Darian Gilliam, uh, Jared Lundberg, The Iceberg, Danny B talks, uh, good friends. I met them at the beginning of 2018, and uh, I felt like that was another sort of turning point in YouTube because I've been, you know, aching for that. Conversation. I wanted to be a part of. I want to be able to talk NASCAR with people my age, and I'd accomplished that with out of the groove doing that in comment sections and on Twitter and whatnot. But then getting to do it weekly in person and even on you know off camera with just peers my age that were all had similar backgrounds in racing like that that also just made YouTube and made just being a NASCAR fan a whole lot more fun. When I met those guys, um and so I, and obviously I still work with them and watch a lot of um their videos. So, uh, but those those are the main ones. I mean, it took a while for there to be a lot of you know nascar talk show videos on youtube i've met uh guys like david land who i know mostly does IndyCar stuff now and we haven't always agreed in uh within our videos at least on key topics uh, sure. i think we've had a little rivalry here and there in the past but uh he's but i think i would say we're friends now We're he's a he's a really good dude and uh, when i was at indianapolis a couple of years ago very hospitable he was so excited to show us around um, like, like he lived, I know he lives really close to the racetrack. It felt like he was showing off his new house to us and just want us all to feel as welcome and comfortable as possible. He was so proud of the brickyard. Uh, and it was, it was honestly just very, um, fun to see. Um, so, but then, yeah, I mean, those are, those are a lot of names I watched. Early on, or still watch, or people that I've just become good friends with, honestly, which is which. Emperor Lemon, who's not a, a NASCAR YouTuber by any means. He's got like a million subscribers. He does all sorts of stuff, but he's done a few NASCAR videos. Found out a couple of years ago he's a big racing fan, and so we've gotten to meet him a few times at racetracks and talk to him. And um, and he does when he does pull out uh, pull out the editing software and does himself a NASCAR video. It's it's elite. It is fantastic. So I always love <laughs> watching his stuff. Wow, that's
1: pretty awesome. So, you know, tell me, you know, it's, it's obvious that you and the content creators that you're friends with, people like Jarrett, Darian, Danny, amongst others, you guys love to promote each other. You love to hype each other up. Yeah. You love to you, you love to find ways to help promote people or promote them to these other audiences that you have that may not know who they are. And, you know, tell me kind of like, where did that start out that, of you trying to help raise each other's platform along with your own?
2: Yeah, it was it was interesting at first because when I first met them, uh, you know, there was certainly an imbalance there. I'd been doing it for a while. I had, I'd, I think, I had close to a hundred thousand subscribers at that point, and they were all just starting out, so they had nothing. And so it was, you know, it was a little one-sided at first. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. I mean, <laughs> I was probably offering them more promotion than they were uh, offering me. But I saw it just as I, I could just see that. Going back to our earlier conversation, there's no definitive guide on how to be successful on the internet. And so I just look at it as I need to surround myself with people. I can trust people who I can go to, to bounce ideas off of, to talk about the good and the bad of doing online content creation. And so, you know, beyond just being friends outside of racing, I wanted to be, I wanted to have, you know, professional, I don't I don't like the way, you know, but I want to have peers that I could also rely on for, um, you know, racing related stuff for YouTube related things. And so, that was just incredibly valuable to me. I think in those early years is they were still new and maybe would make a misstep here or there. I would make a misstep here or there, but like we could kind of keep each other in line and um, you know, again, bounce ideas off of, if someone had an idea that was just not going to work, we wouldn't be afraid to tell each other that like, Hey, that I think like, I'd tell them, like, I have done that type of video before you can do it. This is what's going to happen. You may not be happy with the results and they would be like, Oh, okay. And they might still try it anyways. And Oh, sure enough. That's kind of, they've experienced the same thing. So, um just to having folks my age going through the same process that I had been through and was still going through it was just really valuable to me and I think they've probably felt the same way and so you know Rising tide lifts all ships we promote each other when uh, especially when we're excited about what one another are working on and uh and you know off camera I think we also support each other just with advice and just just talking about different things and I think that's you know again if you're going to take on this wild west that is the internet it's good to have a few people in your corner that you can count on to get advice from and bounce ideas off of
1: wow yeah i mean and that obviously given the fact that the internet's still a relatively new thing it would make sense that there that there would need to be a lot of bouncing ideas off of each other you know because again i mean I mean, we're the first generation to grow up with YouTube really being a thing, you know? Yeah. And so obviously, you know, I mean, I t- told you earlier, you guys really are the first generation of like, you know, like NASCAR talk shows on YouTube, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. Um, you know, is that have you have you ever thought about that, that reality that you are kind of that first generation? And like, you know, do you like to think about that even?
2: <laughs> I don't really think I don't think about it too much. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think the only innovative element of my content really is that it's on YouTube. I mean, there's been talk shows for a hundred years or something. I don't know. There's been talk shows since the radio was the primary form of communication and entertainment. So, you know, just sort of taking a lot of those traditional tropes and just applying them to a new platform, I guess, you know, there's something special about that or innovative about that. But, you know, I'm just a guy talking about, NASCAR news, what I find interesting. And I hope other people find it interesting as well. So it's it, I do feel flattered when I see on YouTube other people similar in age to me doing kind of obviously the same thing. I'm like, oh yeah, that looks a lot like out of the groove. I see what you're doing. You got you know (laughs) pieces of race cars in your background, you're talking into a camera, you're you got a little intro, you got a catchy little name. I'm like, Oh, that I mean, that's great. Go for it. I welcome it. I think it's awesome. The more conversation around stock car racing, the better for everyone, I believe. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's I'm I'm flattered that people are. I guess, inspired in some way, shape or form by things I've done or that folks like me have done. But it to me, I don't think of it that way. I think of like I'm doing I'm taking things that other people have done and trying to make it my own. Like, I feel like everything is derivative from something previously. So,
1: I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll finish up. We're kind of right at that limit of the amount of time that are kind of goal time for this podcast to be. So I'll ask you one last question here. Um, You know, it's kind of a big one, but, you know, and I don't know exactly how to ask it, but I guess the way that I'll say is kind of like, you know, what's your future? Do you plan on doing out of the groove forever? Do you have other aspirations? Do you want to maybe go into something like, you know, like 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 broadcasting, like traditional like play-by-play broadcasting or something like making movies or any of that sort of stuff, going back to Hollywood at some point in your future? You know, do you do you have that? Or have you even thought about it?
2: I think about it quite a bit. I think uh, you know, another part of doing YouTube and, and things is eh, I've I've struggled with the 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 idea that this is all almost too good to be true. That I'm able to, you know, li- make a living. I'm able to live on my own, support myself. Talking about something that I grew up just adoring, something I was in love with growing up, and I get to make my own schedule. Like, I, I'm just I'm so fortunate that it's worked out as well as it has. That every day, to some degree, in the back of my mind, I just imagine it's all going to crash and burn and and be taken away by. By anything, it could anything could happen, um, and so yeah, I guess from that perspective, it, it sometimes is hard for me to think too far out into the future. Uh, I really like out of the groove where it is now, and I could see myself doing again following the same routine for many more years—twenty uh, years, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I do have other interests, but I also have always loved NASCAR, and I don't think that's ever going to change. So um, as long as I can sort of Again, marry my interests in filmmaking and, and being a part of the conversation, and also you know combining that with NASCAR. Then I think I'm going to keep doing it. But uh, I don't know. There's a ton of different goals. You know, within the racing industry, I like I like working for myself. You know, it would be awesome to collaborate or do something with a major network or studio at some point or another. But it's not. I wouldn't. I don't see that as something I need to cross off my list at some point. Uh, I think it'd be cool to one day be like more closely tied into a race team. Not not like to own my own NASCAR team, but to be able to sort of be a close, maybe a partner in a race team that I can sort of, that can be a, a source of content that would be really enlightening. Like, hey, here's a team starting up from scratch. Let's let you into the process. Like, I think it's been so fun the last few years to follow track houses, rise, um, you know, 2311, all these new teams coming to the sport. You know, we hear bits and pieces about how they came about, but we don't really know. We don't really know how intense those conversations are, how stressful, how risky these investments are. We don't really know. We don't have any insight into that. So I think it'd be cool to one day uh, be closer to that side of the industry and, and be able to make content on that. But I guess it's all going to come back to content. I like making videos. I like sharing videos with the world uh, and you know, maybe the style of content will change a little bit over the years hopefully we can continue to get bigger. Uh, That's why I love daily downforce because now we have content that's written by uh, great writers like yourself. That is, you know, it's a different medium, a different outlet reaches a different audience. I think, you know, content is always going to be King in whatever I do. And if it changes a little bit, it changes. I could see it not changing for a long time. I I don't think I'll do out of the groove when I'm 60, at least not in its (laughs) current form. It might've evolved into a different format, But it's you're not going to see. I don't think it's going to look like this even in 20 years, quite honestly. It'll it'll definitely change at some point.
1: Well, uh, thank you for that compliment. I do appreciate (laughs) that. You know, um, I mean, Eric, I think you echo the sentiments of a lot of people that are in this business, which is just that, you know, it, it does seem too good to be true that every day you get to wake up and you get to talk about something that you love. And, uh, you know, that's what you get to do on a daily basis. And you have so much joy for that. That's so obvious. And, you know, that's really cool. And, um, you know, I mean, you just gotta keep doing what you're doing, and you know what? I mean, the the encyclopedia of YouTube is getting written every single day, and uh, you know we're learn, you know, you're learning every day, we're learning every day how to navigate the internet, and uh, you know that's just awesome to hear. So, uh, you know, uh, folks, thank you so very much here, and uh, Eric, thank you so very much here for joining us here today on this uh, first episode of uh, Next Gen Creators. Thank you so very much, folks, for tuning in to this episode of Next Gen Creators. And a big thank you to Eric Estet for joining us for the very first episode. Eric has, uh, you know, he is a great partner of the Daily Downforce, and he is awesome and he really was was great to work with this interview and uh as you heard he was he was very honest and he was very open and it was great to hear some interesting things that i didn't know about him and uh to hear about kind of how out of the group became a thing and and about how things like the pandemic actually launched him to where he is today and uh, also finishing off by being very honest about what he wants to do with his future and uh, that was really great to hear it was really awesome to hear and we thank you so much again for tuning in again we do not have our next guest lined up yet but if you want a content creator on this podcast then please feel free to send it our way comment message us any way that you can uh at daily downforce on twitter is uh our twitter follow so please be sure you you talk to us and tell us where you want or who you want on this show and um who you want to hear from because all these content creators have a story they're a very interesting story they're fun stories and they're really cool to hear from some of these people and hear about their passion for creating NASCAR content on places like YouTube and even other places and uh it's always great to hear these people and kind of get a peek behind the curtain at at who they are uh behind just what they do on youtube or in a podcast or when they write on a daily basis anything like that it's it's really awesome to see and it's just uh really cool to hear them be just kind of raw and honest and and hear them talk about and what they're passionate about and what they love uh it's really cool to see really cool to hear folks thank you so much again for tuning into this episode of next gen creators i'm Joshua lapowski have a great day